This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, and this is the week of December 4th through 8th, 2023, and we've got Jeopardy Champions Wildcard Hearts Quarterfinals games to discuss Um, but before we talk about them let's talk about us how are you doing kyle i'm doing okay we managed about a week without any particular sickness congratulations Um, and now that week seems to have passed uh so we're you know it's that time of year just kind of keeping on you know not not a lot to report here how are you doing we did not manage to not get sick this week so I've got a kid home with fever, but you know, chugging along, we'll be at Disney World in 18 days, God willing, and the creek don't rise. My my current thing is I am starting to get really into crosswords, and I'm playing mm-hmm. around, because I'm me, I'm playing around with the idea of going to the, the big crossword puzzle tournament, which Ooh. takes place in connecticut just after mm-hmm. easter because i guess you know i want to go to competitive brain activities it's competitive my, brain activities are fun that's my thing it's my Dude. thing yeah so i've been noodling on that idea and have been doing a lot of crosswords recently nice yeah and we're, we're having church people over to our house for a little Christmas party thing tomorrow. So that will be fun, I hope. I hope so, too. Yeah. Well, hey. There is some very recent news Ooh. that we should probably talk about with the upcoming Tournament of Champions. You know what? I may be learning this from you right now. Okay. Uh, earlier this week, there was some... I don't remember exactly where, but uh, three-time champion Kevin Bell was informed by Ken Jennings that he would be invited to the next Tournament of Champions. And, of course, we can trust Andy at the Jeopardy fan to have done the research for us so we don't have to. Mm -hmm. Kevin Bell would be ranked 27 on the... Like tournament of champions tracker, including the remaining wildcard participants. So that would imply, as he states that other three-time champions like Emmett Stanton, Jake DeRuta, and Yogesh Rout would mm. be invited back for the next Tournament of Champions. Reports are that they have been informed of their qualification. So this will be an extin- an expanded tournament pool again, uh, like the last one. Hmm. We, we will see. Okay. You know what does occur to me, or occurred to me this week, perhaps belatedly, about... Mike Davies' approach of not wanting to have wildcard spots based on, you know, game winnings in the in mm-hmm. the semifinals of these tournaments is that since how much the second place contestants racked up is not relevant, I assume they don't have to sequester the contestants who haven't played yet. I think that's probably true, yeah. Yeah, which I imagine changes the tournament experience, maybe for the better, right? Like, yeah. I was just thinking about that this week oh, because because there was a wrong guess on a final Jeopardy that then was a right answer the next day. And it was clear that everyone knew that was funny. And I was like, oh, right. They all got to sit in the audience because 
it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how much the second and third place contestants make. So they're all watching. 27 contestants in the Tournament of Champions. It's that same format that they're doing for this, right? Nine yeah. gate, nine quarterfinals to produce nine semifinalists to produce three finalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it seems, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk games, I guess. So Monday, December 4th, we have the contestants Kristen Thomas McGill, a graduate student and historian originally from Louisville, Kentucky, Finn Corrigan, a student <clears throat> and postal clerk from Vista, California, and Julia Markham Cameron, an attorney from Brooklyn, New York. And the Jeopardy round categories are children's literature, British bands, I think we left someone out, a green thumb, give the devil, devil in quotation marks, and his do, uh, but do is apostrophe do, like a hairdo. Mm. The leaving someone out category, I thought was like, I had a harder time with it than I thought I would, or that I really like once the answers were given that I really thought I should have. Yeah. But like going in order through like the five star generals of World War II, like, of course, I knew it was Eisenhower, but like they gave the other names and then my brain was like, what could that other guy's name be? Right. I know who it is. And the same thing with even like the like the the gospels. I was like, of, of course, I know what the other gospel is. Right. But which one is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It was surprisingly challenging. Yeah. I don't expect Jeopardy to be like super precise about, you know, biblical scholarship stuff, but I, I did get a little annoyed about the about the phrasing of that gospel. The authors. Clue. The authors of the Bible's yeah. gospels, Matthew, Luke, John, and and Julia got it. Mark is the other one. Look, we don't actually know the authors' names. They don't this isn't even like, you know, oh, this letter says it's by Paul, but it's, you know, probably not really by Paul. Like, those names don't appear in the text. We don't know who is writing these things. And so, like, the names have been given to them by tradition, but, like, they don't actually say who their authors are. Yeah. So we call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but, like, we don't know who the authors are. Two Christianity questions in that category we also had at the thousand dollar level the four horsemen of the apocalypse are conquest war famine and uh kristen tried what is plague julia tried what is pestilence but death is the correct response and i took a whole graduate course on the book of revelation but the way that i remember the four horsemen is from the robot chicken sketch apocalypse ponies which, if you haven't seen it, you can find it on YouTube. It's very funny. <laughs> that does sound funny. I think I'll yeah. It's a it's a it's a My Little Pony ad, except the the four po- the, the ponies are the four horsemen, the, like the horses of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like I'm famine pony and I'm <laughs> death pony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Children's literature, we had a couple throwbacks to deep dives. I've done Dr. Mm-hmm. Seuss and I've done A.A. A. Milne. Those were at the $200 and $400 level. The $1,000 level, we had a triple stumper. David McKee's stories of this patchwork elephant satellite convey the message that it's okay to be different. Nobody tried that one. That is Elmer. And I don't I don't know that one. And like, I, I haven't either. seen that. I haven't seen it come up in Jeopardy before. No. Which like, it's nice to see them branch out, you know, because I think they... You know, I much as I'm comforted by their having their go-tos and, you know, feeling like, oh, it's a children's literature category, you know, we're going to get, you know, five out of my mental list of, like, maybe 20 authors. Like, 
Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's nice to it's nice to see them, you know, expand a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Daily Double number one is also in that children's literature category at the $600 level, pick number seven. Kristen finds it. She's at $1,600. Julia's at negative $800. Finn's at $1,600. And she bets it all. Gets the clue. An out-of-control dog meets his match in John Grogan's Him and the Kittens. And Kristen has no idea. And it is Marley, apparently, of Marley and Me fame. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's children's literature but like i feel like this is do you recognize this adult author who happened to write a children's book yeah kind of yeah so at the end of the jeopardy round julia is at 3000 finn is at 3600 kristen is at 1800 we get the double jeopardy categories math words in u.s capitals movie directors message in a bottle a bird in the hand and two in the bush which was all about the two President Bushes. <laughs> yes. Not what I expected. President's Bush? President's Bush, yes. The two President's Bushes. <laughs> it always feels so pretentious to phrase it that yeah. way. Yeah. Julia clearly did not like the math category, but got more correct in that category than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Specifically, she got two. Kristen got one, and there were two triple snuppers. Throwback to, you know, last week. At the $800 of a bird in the hand, that's not a chick in the hand, but this bird with a longer name. And they showed a picture of a chickadee. Mm-hmm. And when it showed up, I went chickadee dee 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 dee. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that from your, from your deep dive. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Very... state bird of Massachusetts and Maine. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm being persnickety, but the $400 level of a bird in the hand, they had a picture and it said, it's the bird in the hands here. Hans Christian Andersen wrote of an ugly one. And... Like the whole he, point of the Hans Christian, he didn't. It, <laughs> it was the Hans Christian Andersen story called "The Ugly Duckling," is about a small bird that thinks that it is an ugly duck, but in fa- in fact, it is a normal looking swan cygnet. Yeah, right. It's a cygnet is a is a baby swan. Is that right? I, that's not, I think so. Yes. Yeah. So like, I don't know. Like not not really. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Words in U.S. capitals was fun, I thought. And I remembered your Carson City deep dive, the $400 mm. level. This crime is in Nevada's capital. And that's arson. Yeah. The arson in Carson in City. In Carson City. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen was the first to pick, and she picked a daily double. It was the very first pick of the round. So the scores were right where we left them with... Kristen trailing at 1,800 and Julia up at 3,000, Finn at 3,600. And Kristen makes it a true daily double, which is definitely the right move here and gets the clue this noodle in California's. And oh, this was at the $1,200 level of words in US capitals. She had to figure out the gimmick from the middle of the category, but she got it. It is ramen in Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one was harder. I was not said noodle. And I went like, I went the pasta route and I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. What's in Sacramento. Right. Yeah. I, I wondered if it was going to be like anagrams or like something like, you know, you can make it from the letters. And I was like, Mac, like Mac and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. So, but she got there. Good job, Kristen. Yeah. Daily double number three is in a bird in the hand down at the $2,000 level pick number 11 and uh kristen finds this one also 
She is at 6,800. Julie is at 4,600. Finn is up at 9,600. Uh, and she wagers 3,000. Gets the clue. The type of hawk seen here, they showed a picture, is found in the name of this olden occupation of the guy holding it. And oh my goodness. She says, what is falcon? Ken does not respond. She says, what is Peregrine Falcon? Uh, and then he tells her no, because they needed the name of the occupation, which is Falconer. Right. Which is a bummer. Yep. Yeah, you needed to find the phrase, this olden occupation. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. That is such a bummer. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, uh, Julia's in the lead with 12,600. Finn is at 10,400. Kristen is at 8,600, and the final Jeopardy category is 20th century novels. With the clue, the Atlanta History Center says this novel was both beloved and condemned from almost the moment of its publication in 1936. I started going down the wrong road with this one, and then I figured it out. I was I was thinking more kind of highbrow stuff. I was like, is this the right era for Faulkner? But th- then I figured it out. Kristen got it correct with what is gone with the wind. Hmm. Yeah. And she wagered everything, 8,600, which puts her at 17,200. Finn wrote, what? Hi, mom and dad. <laughs> couldn't couldn't come up with anything, but nice shout out to his parents. He wagered 1,800, which drops him down to 8,600. And Julia got it correct as well and wagered 7,000, which puts her up to 19,600. She didn't quite make a cover bet, which is interesting. Yeah, but... You know, I think correctly surmised, I guess, that Finn wouldn't go too big or or else, you know, messed up the math or didn't, you know, didn't know how to how to, you know, how to how to handle that wagering situation Mm -hmm. or I don't know. But my guess is maybe this is second order. She knows that Finn knows how to wager. And so she's going to count on him to wager correctly. And if you're 100 percent sure second place has wagered correctly, that changes your strategy in first place, which then raises the question of whether the second place correct wager is correct but anyway not quite a full cover bet but that's okay finn missed and and wagered small and so she goes she goes up to 19,600 and gets the semi-finalist spot yeah so we move on to tuesday when we have the contestants matt mirswa an attorney from river edge new jersey andrew chaikin a musician and teacher from San Francisco, California, and Laura Portwood Stacer, an editor and author originally from Livonia, Michigan. We have the Jeopardy round categories, purple prose and poetry, a paranormal category, to L with science with L in quotation marks, sports stuff, also a superhero, and feedback sandwich. Like feedback colon sandwich. It's about sandwiches. Yeah. It it would have been funny, like because most of the clues had positive and negative feedback about sandwiches, but it was not in a feedback sandwich format. No, I feel yeah, could have easily, well, maybe not easily, but could have been really leaning into the bit. Yeah, yeah, they could have they could have really gone for it here. If you are so blessed as to not be familiar with a feedback sandwich, it's where you give positive feedback and then negative feedback and then positive feedback, right? Like right. if you have something negative to say so- to something, to someone, you say it between two positive things. Right. So praise, like, suggestion, praise. Right. I like to use criticism instead of suggestion, so then I can refer to it as PCP. Mm. Okay. You know, in professional settings, people get uncomfortable when you talk about, you know, hard drugs. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But that's that's how I claim power in the situation is by making other people uncomfortable. Right. 
I, I love what you're doing there. I do have some, <laughs> but overall, you know, nice job. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like at this point, the feedback sandwich is entirely ineffective because everyone is familiar with it. And is like, you just said the two nice things to be able to give me the criticism. Right. For, for adults, I will say for when you're like teaching kids, it is actually pretty effective. Okay. Because if the first thing they hear is like, you did this wrong, a lot of times, and if it's what they always hear, a lot of them will just shut down, which yeah. makes sense. Because like, why do you absolutely want does, to yeah. keep listening to just criticism? Mm-hmm. $200 level of feedback sandwich, the Connecticut, not the main version of the sandwich called this roll gets my vote. But why use a hot dog bun? Both of them use a hot dog bun. And the difference is, is it a cold lobster salad with mayonnaise or is it a hot lobster it like pieces of pieces of warm lobster drizzled with melted butter you know honestly both sound delicious yeah yeah Con- connecticut to- is is hot with butter and maine is cold with mayonnaise but in my experience both are in a hot dog bun and like why use a hot dog bun because lobster is expensive yeah. <laughs> Use a hot dog bun because you can't afford anything else after you right. buy a lobster. <laughs> like these these hot bu- hot dog buns full of lobster, like we're looking we're looking at like $25, $30. Right. Um, yes. I t- oh my gosh. I went to visit my brother in Boston a couple of years ago and we went to Kelly's roast beef. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm gonna get a lobster roll. And I did. And they conveniently didn't have the price on the menu. Yeah, it'll say like MP, which stands for market price. Market because, price, right. Because, so they can jack it up if it's like not a good lobster season. Right. Which apparently it wasn't. <laughs> How much was it? I'm, I, if I recall, I believe it was like $35. Okay. All right. Maybe 40 It was <laughs> yeah. my my bill, like, because I, I was treating, like we were treating like yeah. my brother and his wife. And like, so I was, I went and picked it up and ordered everything. And the bill came and I was like, did, did we get like double charged? So like he, he handed mm-hmm. me the receipt and I was like looking it over, looking it over and like everything that I ordered was there. And then I looked at the price and I was like, oh my God, yeah. I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. That, yeah. mm, that is, that, that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Who was making ice cream sandwiches with paper as the outside? That doesn't sound like a good idea. It's the thousand dollar level of feedback. I don't know. I'm I'm fixated on the sandwich category. Apparently, <laughs> um, that's that's wild. I want to know more about that. Sure. Well, you know what? That can be your deep dive. Yeah, we'll know. Maybe, maybe it will be. Who knows? They did pretty well in the sports category. Only missing yeah. the two hundred dollar. This league adopted a rule in 2020 that prevented teams from manipulating the game clock via dead ball fouls. Matt guessed what's the NBA? I guess that's not a bad guess, but it's the NFL. Yeah, and Laura got a nice rebound at the $1,000 level. Honus Wagner signed a historic contract in 1905 that saw him endorse this baseball bat with a Kentucky City in its name. Matt tried what is Louisville, but the baseball bat is the Louisville Slugger. Right. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in 2L with Science. It's at the $600 level. Pick number 10, and Andrew finds it. He's at $1,400 with Laura at $600 and Matt at $1,200, and he makes it a true Daily Double. And he gets the clue, any of a hydrophobic group of organic compounds, including fats and oils. And he gets that correct. It is a lipid. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Laura's at 4,400. Andrew's at 3,600. Matt's at 2,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are Rome is where the art is, a song in that movie, 
almost assassinated. They come in threes, flags, and from dawn till dusk. Each correct response will be between those two words alphabetically. Almost assassinated was very rough for our Mm -hmm. contestants. They only got the $800 level. And that might be because that it was an incorrect guess earlier on that might have primed. I mean, may have primed, may not have. The $800 level was May 12th, 1982 on a visit to the famous shrine in Fatima, Portugal. And Andrew got it. That's Pope John Paul II. But Matt had also guessed JP2 at the $1,600 level, August 22nd, 1962, when his luxury Citroën was attacked near Paris. That was actually Charles Gaulle. 62 is too early for JP2. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice pronunciation, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you're you. welcome. I felt for Matt, though, because like, clearly he remembered that there was this JP2 assassination, but then Andrew was the one who got in when JP2 was the correct answer. You know? Right. It and always feels like, bad. It's like, oh. <laughs> I lost $1,600 remembering that this person experienced an, ass- an assassination attempt, and then somebody maybe got the name from me and picked up $800. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think I think they were I don't know if it was just they truly couldn't remember their like historical figures or if they were trying to think too deep because for mm-hmm. each of these dates like there's one like big name of like the famous leader of that time and place and mm-hmm. no and they just didn't go for it right like right. February 15th 1933 after making a speech in Miami right that's I mean FDR that's right like the beginning of his like time in power essentially and andrew guessed who is castro that's too early wait yeah too early for for, castro i think maybe he zoomed in on miami right i don't think that i knew there'd been an assassination attempt on fdr Mm -hmm. you know so i i think that maybe i thought miami was the was the clue there but still right um, but then the 1200 dollars clue september 5th 1975 while greeting a crowd in Sacramento, California. I mean, Reagan is a good guess. The guy who was like the president at that time was Gerald Ford. Right. right? And then mm-hmm. de Gaulle, 60s in Paris. And mm-hmm. and then October 14th, 1912, on his way to a campaign rally in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I thought this was not a $2,000 level. Yeah. That said, who is McKin? No, because he remembered that that's too late McKinley for McKinley. McKinley was it. already dead, successfully yeah. Already shot, succeed, yes. yeah, completely assassinated. <laughs> that was Teddy Roosevelt. That's his, you know, famous bull moose speech, mm-hmm. where he got shot and then gave his speech. Yep. I, I thought that was not a two thousand, but they, they didn't get it. So yeah, agreed. We also had an assassination at the two thousand dollar level of flags. Gilbert mm-hmm. Baker created the rainbow flag, and this man rode in a parade with one shortly before his nineteen seventy eight assassination. And Andrew got that one. That is Harvey Milk. Daily double number two is pick number one in this round as well. It's in the flags category at the $1,600 level, and Matt just snipes it right off the hip. I mean, the scores are the same that we said at the start of the round. He's at 2,600, Lori's at 4,400, Andrew's at 3,600. He bets it all, gets the clue. The main flag on a warship is called this, also a rank in the Navy. He guesses what is Admiral, but you got to go to the other side. That's the ensign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And daily double number three is pick number seven at the $2,000 level of Rome is where the art is. Andrew finds this one. He is at 10,000. Laura's at 4,400. Matt is at 1,200. And you could just see Matt deflate when Andrew Mm -hmm. got this one. 
Well, no, not when he found it after he yeah, after the response. So Andrew wagers five thousand, and his clue is in the gallery of Borghese. Caravaggio's portrait of this saint shows him with his head still on his shoulders, and Andrew takes a moment. I don't know if it's to be sure or to just like I don't know bask in, but he knows it is John the Baptist. So going into final jeopardy, Andrew is in a lock position at. 18,200. Matt's at 7,200. Laura is at 6,400. And we get the final Jeopardy category 2020s television. And the clue, the title locale of this series is really the Bell Nord, dating to 1908 and located at 86th and Broadway on New York City's Upper West Side. Everyone got it. That is only murders in the building. I did not get it. I haven't oh. watched that show. But Laura wagered 6,300. Matt wagered 444 and Andrew wagered 42. So Andrew wins, Matt and Laura get their consolation prizes. Mm -hmm. And Wednesday, December 6th, we have the contestants, Patrick Hume, a client operations director from Van Nuys, California, Kate Freeman, a financial manager originally from Lake Orion, Michigan, and Ed Coulson, an economics and real estate professor from Dana Point, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are real men of science Watery songs, house party, out of con text, space between con and text, you name the work. I just want a lover like any other. And what do I get? Get in quotation marks. I noticed in this round, they, the contestants really wanted to say the full name of I just want a lover like any other category. Mm. Like every time they went there, they said the full name of the category. And I was like, like how would you short? Would you say lover? Yeah. Okay. Or lover like any other, or just, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking as I was thinking about it, I was like, I would just say lover and, and go with that. Yeah. I don't know if it was this group of contestants, but there also, there was a group of contestants this time who kept saying same category, which I remember mm. being strongly discouraged from doing. Yeah. You know, and like being told, like, if you say same category, they'll try to remember which category they were in, but like you get what you get and you don't get upset. Right. <laughs> like, you didn't say it. So like, right. if, yeah, if, they, if they goof, like, so be it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the $600 level of real men of science, Galileo used a supernova in 1604 to disprove this ancient Greeks theory that the universe never changes. Uh, Kate tried who is Plato, which I don't know. That feels platonic sure to me but that's not correct and then patrick got the rebound and he said ptolemy but apparently they also would have taken aristotle yeah which i th thought was curious because that means plato was really not that far off in terms of you know yeah like philosophers Mm-hmm. um I have a mental block. The $200 level of house party, this house in Massachusetts is actually on Turner Street, not Pynchon Street, as in the 1851 novel. Nobody tried it. It is the house of the Seven Gables, which I always say the house with the Seven Gables. And I think oh. that they would rule me wrong because if you get like a small word wrong that's at the beginning of a title, that doesn't count. Right? It doesn't matter if it's the house right. or a house or house. Mm -hmm. But getting that, yeah, of getting or the, the with, one in the middle, yeah, yeah, the I internal think. words have to be correct. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. 
All right, daily double number one is in out of context at the $600 level. Pick number 12, Kate uncovers it. She is at 200. Ed's at 1800. Patrick's at 3400. She bets 1000, gets the clue. This 1849 work says, under a government which imprisons any unjustly, the true place for a just man is prison. She, I guess it doesn't say it's an American work. So I guess it is, I was going to have a criticism. She guesses what is the communist manifesto, which I guess isn't like a, a, a terrible guess, but that's, mm-hmm. that's not correct. It's civil disobedience by Thoreau. Yeah. When he was in jail for not paying taxes because he didn't support the Mexican American war. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I think, think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they, they will just take civil disobedience for that because that's how it's known. Although like at right. some point I learned in that it is on the duty of civil disobedience, which hopefully I'm getting all the small words right there. I, 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 yeah. think, I, I think I would probably try and give the full title assuming, you know, like I, I keep thinking civil disobedience is like, you know, just a nickname. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ed's at 4,400. Kate is at 2,200. Patrick's at 7,200. Double Jeopardy categories are hodgepodge, double talk, classic comic strips, African cuisine, Dewey, and decimals. Mm-hmm. Knew this was going to come up in the African cuisine category. $800 level. Dora Watt stewed chicken often eaten with injera bread is a national dish of this East African country. If they're asking for an African country, it's a good guess to just say Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Which it was. Yeah. Dora Watt is great, though. Love Ethiopian food. I miss I miss having Ethiopian delivery available to me. <laughs> Nearby. Yeah. 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 We haven't driven to get Ethiopian food recently, but we could. But in when we were in the city, I think there were two different Ethiopian restaurants we could get delivery from. And that nice. is, now there's now there's zero in Westchester. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, thanks. We have lots around here. I'm nice. jealous. We, we, yeah, we have a we have a big, big East African immigrant population in Aurora. Mm-hmm. We had the sixteen hundred dollar level of hodgepodge. Nineteen seventy eight saw the deaths of two popes, Paul the sixth. Then less than two months later, this pope. This is you know this made me chuckle from the previous day. Ed guessed who is John the twenty third, but this is Pope John Paul the first. Yes, which was a triple stumper. Mm -hmm. the $2,000 level of double talk in 2015 a new member of the panda family was born at the Smithsonian Hmm. National Zoo and given this name not newborn nobody tried that it is Bay Bay the pandas have all gone back to China from the Smithsonian National Zoo yeah I'm so sad also I suspect that there are like geopolitical like Oh, of, of course, yeah. of course, so. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we're not happy with your, I don't know, economic policy or something, right? Like so we're going to take have our pandas. pandas. <laughs> our cute, evolutionarily questionable animals. Yeah. Daily double number two. It's at the two thousand dollar level of Dewey. It's pick number sixteen, and Ed finds it. He's at eighty eight hundred. With Kate at 5,800 and Patrick at 10,400. He wagers 3,000, looking to take the lead, and he gets the clue. U.S. educator and psychologist John Dewey helped develop this philosophic branch associated with William James. And we've talked about this. We had a deep dive about it, which Ed must have mm-hmm. listened to because he knows it's pragmatism. That's the only way he could have known. He I mean, it makes sense to me. Is a professor himself, so, you know, 
yeah, yeah but maybe i don't know yeah no probably he got it from the podcast probably he got it from the podcast yeah and daily double number three is in african cuisine at the 1600 dollars level pick number 18 patrick finds it he is at eleven thousand six hundred. it's at eleven thousand eight hundred, and kate is at 5800 so this is an opportunity to kind of open things up and take a bit of a lead but he wagers three thousand gets the clue granular semolina goes by this name which is also the name of a stew made in morocco algeria and tunisia and they showed a picture and i don't know if I don't know if he just really didn't know if he was overthinking, but he doesn't even offer a guess, but it's couscous. I knew that it was couscous, but I forgot we were in the African cuisine category. And I was like, oh, right. Double talk. I had the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Double talk. Of course, because it's couscous. That, it's the only thing it could be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it it fits with either. And that, I mean, I got I got there, but I could imagine that throwing somebody off being like, oh, no, not double talk. Right. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Ed is in the lead with 14,600. Kate's at 9,000. Patrick is at 10,200. And the final Jeopardy category is famous names with the clue. Subject of a 2003 film, his 1947 obituary said he fathered at least 100 and died of a heart attack at 14 at a California ranch. (laughs) (sighs) I didn't figure it out. I went to the wrong individual of the right species but before before okay. i zoomed in on fathered a hundred <laughs> by the age died, of 14 <laughs> by the age of 14 i was like okay you know 19 died in 1947 2003 biopic right mm-hmm. and i was like okay you know is this somebody in like cal- like is it california agriculture like when was cesar chavez because i saw california ranch and then i was like no like maybe we're talking about like you know some wealthy person and then i was like no fathered at least 100 and died at 14 and then i was like oh it would be very embarrassing if you put a human name here (laughs) (laughs) so but kate hopefully can live with with herself she uh, you know i think I don't know if she was joking around or if she focused on the wrong part, but like, who is Will Rogers was Kate's response. She right. measured 1201. So she drops to 7799. Patrick and Ed both figured it out. Who is Seabiscuit? Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember which famous racehorse was from which era. Yeah. So I was like, I was like secretariat, I guess. Once I, once I was like, oh, right. It's got to be an animal. <laughs> um, yeah. I believe secretariat uh, was much later. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Seabiscuit is the correct response. So Patrick wagered 7801, bumping him up to 18,001. But Ed wagered 5801, and that puts him at 20,401. So he gets that semifinalist spot. And Kate and Patrick get the third and second place consolation prizes, respectively. Uh, So that brings us to Thursday, quarterfinal seven. We have the contestants Robin Lozano, a technology chief of staff from Shavertown, Pennsylvania. Youngsheng Wang, a deputy public defender originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. And Scott Schufelt, a writer originally from Tavistock, Ontario, Canada. The Jeopardy round categories are Oklahoma, Super Bowl stars, Fireplace, on the table with T in quotation marks for your consideration, the number four and a donut shop dictionary. All responses will be words that also describe items you might see in a donut shop. And goodness, we had some, I guess only a couple of clues. It felt like a lot watching yeah. it. A lot of difficulty. The, the $400 clue was a light drizzle. Yang Sheng wrote, what is a frosting? That's incorrect. Mm-hmm. 
or said what's frosting. Robin said what is glazed, but that's a sprinkle. Looking for sprinkle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the $600 level. Someone intimidating is said to reduce you to this. Scott guessed what is crumbs, but it is jelly. Yeah. The other ones I got. I feel like if somebody told me that, you know, they were reduced to crumbs by like somebody's, you know, I don't know, scolding or whatever. Like you, you, you'd get, get what they mean. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not really an idiom. Yeah. Throwback to the thousand or, or a deep dive that I did a while back and the thousand dollar level of fireplace. A 1776 fire destroyed this city's Teatro Reggio Ducale. La Scala was built to replace it. Scott got that. That's Milan. You must have listened mm. to my La Scala deep dive. Yes. Or not. Absolutely. Did I do it on La Scala or did I do it on Verdi? It was, on, it was kind of both. Paul, it was kind of both. And and I talked about the Great Fire of Chicago, which came up at the $400 level. 1871, the Great Fire of this city starts in a barn on DeCoven Street. And good on them for not repeating the misinformation about the Irish immigrants and the cow. Right. Which, yeah. And Scott, <laughs> the, Scott got that one. Yep. Super Bowl stars, they actually did pretty well in also. You actually even started there. He just mm-hmm. like, went for it. And that's yeah. nice. The only one they missed was a $400 clue. Only 10 Super Bowl MVPs have been defensive players. Four, like Super Bowl 50 star Von Miller for the Broncos, played this position. Scott rang in and guessed what is D linemen, which is not correct. They were linebackers, right. which are not linemen. Mm-hmm. And then the $800 level of Oklahoma. This humorist and native son lends his name to Oklahoma City's main airport. I saw Robin smile really big when she got it. That's Will Rogers. Yes. Because she was, I'm sure she was in the audience watching the previous taping. Exactly. Yeah. And probably kind of glancing at Kate being like, yeah, this is <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daily double number one is at the $800 level of fireplace. It's pick number three and Robin finds it. We're super early. So Robin's at a thousand. Youngshin is at. 600 scots at zero and robin wagers a thousand and gets the clue circa 50 bc this city's library is torched by julius caesar some say and she knows it's alexandria so at the end of the jeopardy round scots at 2000 youngsheng is at 4800 robin's at 5000 and the double jeopardy categories are greek alphabet puzzlers amphibians during lou gehrig's consecutive game streak (laughs) Labor unions, it's raining Mensa, and Star Wars before and after. Those Star Wars before and after clues, they got three of them correct. And I feel like the ones that they missed, it's not that they didn't know the Star Wars, it's they didn't know the other thing. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wake up to this 1971 Rod Stewart song that's a perfect greeting for any Jedi. That apparently is Maggie May, The Force Be With You. I don't know that song, and I guess neither did they. And then TV's Love Boat at the $1,600 level. TV's Love Boat, who's now reached the rank of general. That is the Pacific Princess Leia. That one also. I was like, Princess Leia, I've got the rest of it is a mystery. I mean, I didn't know which general because I didn't have the the love boat side of it to like figure out what the before and after was. I had a hard time with Greek alphabet puzzlers, but they got all of them. Mm-hmm. But I read Greek and <laughs> so okay, so here's the thing, I think is that when I'm reading Greek texts, I read almost all lowercase letters. Mm. yeah and so these these were all all these were all kind of like 
like brain teaser things with uppercase Greek letters paired with pictures. So I did get the $400 level. It's a symbol of the all-American way of life. And it had a Greek character on an apple that was apple pie. And Youngshun tried what is American pie before Robin got the rebound there. Yeah. But those were those were fun. Um, yeah. I just was like, oh, I don't know my Greek capitals anymore. Hmm. Nobody got the $2,000 level. A type of violent windstorm. And they had a Greek character on top of one of two identical looking apparently identical sheep (laughs) yeah so they were referencing you know dolly and that's a cyclone clever clever pun yeah very cute yeah at some point i guess we started using new clues again right the 1200 dollar level of labor unions in 2012 sag merged with this union and together they went on strike in 2023 that's aftra youngshin got that one and pretty sure the SAG-AFTRA strike started after the Writers Guild of America strike. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess we're using new material or maybe mixing it in. Yeah, but I'm not totally sure what's going on there. That's interesting. Yeah. Daily double number two is in amphibians at the $1,200 level. Pick number seven. Robin also finds this one. She's at 8,600. Scott's at 2,800. Yanshan's at 5,600. And she wagers 3,000. Gets a clue. Although this biblical frog is the world's largest at around 12 inches long, its tadpoles are the same size as other frogs. And she does not have uh, a guess, but that is a Goliath frog. Mm-hmm. And Scott is the one who finds daily double number three at the $2,000 level of during Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak. It's pick number 16. He's at 6,400 with Youngshin at 9,200 and Robin at 7,200. He makes it a true daily double, which is gutsy, Mm -hmm. and I like it. And he gets the clue. He became the Cook County Jail's most famous inmate on October 24th, 1931. And he gets it correct. It is Al Capone. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Scott's at 14,400, Yenshin's at 12,000, and Robin is at 4,800. We have the final Jeopardy category, languages, and the clue, since it can make someone, quote, Japanese laugh as heartily as a Dane, end quote, Lillian Gish saw film as an aesthetic this, the name of a language. I thought this clue was a bit weirdly worded. Yeah. Okay. A bit off-putting. Robin wrote, what is English? Not a Not a terrible guess since it is kind of like the most like widely spoken language like in places around the world but it's not correct she wagered all 4800 young shen got it correct with what is esperanto the Mm -hmm. like international sort of like synthesized language i guess or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and he wagered eleven thousand, so he goes up to twenty three thousand. and scott didn't get it he wrote what is french Mm. and wagered ten thousand, dropping to 4400 so young shen gets the next semi-finalist spot so that brings us to friday we have the quarterfinal contestants john spurney a writer and musician from los angeles california carmela chan a researcher from san diego california and gary hollis a chemistry professor from roanoke virginia i don't know why Strong bad wanted to commandeer my pronunciation. California, of California, yeah. And our, I, I do know it's because it's because strong bad just lives in my brain mm-hmm. forever. The Jeopardy round categories are organ recital. We're talking baseball, all of me, the Ivy League, 
geographic titles, and as easy as A, B, C. Each correct response will have the letters A, B, and C in that order somewhere. There can be letters, other letters in between. In between, yeah. The all of me category was just crying out, I felt, for like a mini theme. Maybe a loves wordplay category. I don't know. All of all of me loves all of you is like where where I thought they were going, but then they just moved along. Mm, no, they just went to the Ivy League. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Leave behind love and all kinds of emotional intelligence and pursuits for for that Ivy League degree. Mm-hmm. As long as you mm-hmm. have the nice name brand college degree, who needs human connection? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> my alma mater got a shout out at the $800 level of the Ivy League. Where where I met my husband, we're, we're fine. <laughs> Everything's good. <laughs> I, was, I was just <laughs> being glib. Its school color is crimson, and that's the Veritas. That is the Harvard motto, Veritas. John got that one. It's Harvard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just rough go at the $800 level of all of me. Uh, the clue there was olive oil mm. is high in this type of fat whose name tells you it has only one type of a certain bond per molecule. Carmela tried what is saturated. That is incorrect. Gary tried what is unsaturated. Ken asked him to be more specific. And he said polyunsaturated. And then finally, John got it with monounsaturated. That is the one type of a certain bond per molecule is the mono part of monounsaturated. And that's a lot of syllables. So that one clue took up about half the round, I think. (laughs) It's a long long clue. They spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what a single baseball man looks like. I, okay. <laughs> I don't like they put the pictures up, but I'm like, this is actually negative process progress because like I need the words on the screen to have any prayer. I've learned these things as like, you know, a series of facts. I have right. no mental images associated with any of this information. <laughs> Some of I these mean, people I knew, yeah. maybe if I'd had time to like look at the words of the clue, I could have gotten it. But <laughs> with their pictures up on the screen, I didn't have a prayer. Sure, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of understandable. I I feel like Hank Aaron at least should be a a recognizable I, face, but the other ones I could yeah see being like I, he should be a recognizable face. I just have not taken any time to look at like I don't watch baseball and I haven't taken yeah. any time to like visually learn what these people look like. I have looked at like lists sure. of yeah, players yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, Daily Double number one is in geographic titles at the $600 level. Pick number 10, John finds it. He's at $2,600. Gary's at $1,600. Carmel is at $2,200. Wagers 2000 gets the clue. JFK's thesis, then bestseller, why blank slept. And he does not know it. He guesses what is Moscow, but it's England. Why England mm-hmm. slept. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Gary's at 1600, Carmela is at 3000, and John is at 3600. Double Jeopardy categories are organ recital. This was more like the what I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. unlike the previous category, <laughs> which was not what I wanted it to be. Uh, classic movie original dialogue question mark, as in it's not actually original dialogue, um, but you name the movie that it is supposedly from. Working on a building. 
career opportunities with E-E-R in quotation marks, amuse me, and words from Arabic. And as much as I like to, you know, toot my own horn about knowing mythology, I am bad at the muses. I just like, for some reason, I have just never been able to lock down which is which. Mm. Which really probably wouldn't take terribly long if I just spent some time, like, kind of memorizing a list like any other. But yeah, I I got all of these correct to my absolute astonishment. Yeah, I mean, they they gave a lot of, you know, sort of supporting clues at the lower levels, the the lower dollar levels. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Urania, Muse of the Science. If they'd asked who is the Muse of Astronomy, I would have been like, no idea. No idea. But but with with that clue, I was able to come up with astronomy. Mm -hmm. Need help in this subject in school? Call up Cleo as the Muse of It. She'll fill you in on facts and dates. That's history i'm sure that you got the 1200 right whether transverse or end blown yeah, yeah, yeah. euterpe is the muse of these instruments that's flute but then the 1600 dollars level comes up a lot in crosswords which i've been spending my phone told me how much time i'm spending on my phone recently and i don't want it to tell me that again. <laughs> it's mostly doing crosswords it's, uh it's very aggressive yeah <laughs> Who asked for this report? (laughs) Don't tell me how many hours I'm averaging on the crossword app. The name of this muse of love poetry is an anagram of orate. That is erato. And then the $2,000 level asked who is the muse of dancing. And that's terpsichore. Terpsichore. And I think they got these all, right? Yeah. All of them on the first try. They did indeed. The $2,000 level of organ recital. Virgil Fox was the longtime virtuoso on the organ at this New York City church on the west side drive of the same name. And that's Riverside Church. Yes. Yep. Riverside Church on the upper west side. I used to live right near there. Haven't we recently talked about Riverside Church? We have. We have recently talked about Riverside Church. Yeah. Off the podcast, I think. Yes. But like Emily and I have have had a conversation recently about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, I still didn't get it from, from our conversation. I did not, was not able to place specifically that, mm-hmm. but it was interesting to be like, oh, now I have two connections for this. Thing. Yeah. Third thing to know, I guess, second thing, if we're talking about trivia, <laughs> the third thing is like, I was talking like, you know, church stuff with Kyle, but the other, the other thing that I would mention as an important trivia connection about Riverside Church is that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke there. I think against the Vietnam War. I think it was mm. it was controversial. It wasn't mm. one of the ones where people are like, "Yeah, Martin Luther King Jr." That's. But yeah, I think he, I think it was a I think it was a speech against the Vietnam Vietnam War at the Riverside mm. Church. But he definitely spoke there. I didn't know that one of the world's largest church organs is at West Point. Yeah. Yeah, which also is you know near me. Mm-hmm, right. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, two New York questions. What a surprise! <laughs> I mean, I'm curious. What's what is your what's what's the most impressive or like noteworthy organ in Colorado? Like, not trying to do a gotcha. Like, there may very um, well be a, be a great one. I mean, not that can necessarily compare to you know the the West Point one, but the it is. I want to say First Baptist Church of Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The largest of its kind in Colorado is at First Baptist Church. It has a massive 15-horsepower electric blower. Hmm. 
but there are apparently six significant surviving pipe organs in Denver. I'm not super up on them. However, my wife and I got married at First Baptist Church. Nice. No, we were not. We were specifically not allowed to touch the organ. (laughs) (laughs) No, no one, because we did not, you know, use their staff or officiant. So no one (laughs) involved with our wedding was allowed to approach or touch the organ, which I was a little bummed about. But I was also like, whatever, I'm not going to pay that much money to get access to this. Yeah. The place where I got married has the oldest unaltered four keyboard pipe organ in the Western Hemisphere located at its installation site. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a fair distinction. Yeah. It's a lot of qualifiers. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's not, not the church where I got married. The hall where we had the reception the church the church also had a nice organ but but yeah we we had our reception at mechanics hall in worcester which sounds like it's sort of a a grimy you know i don't know you know kind of practical place and in fact it is this like absurdly majestic space with this really cool organ anyway daily double number two is in words from Arabic. It's at the $2,000 level. Pick number 21. Gary finds it. He's at 12,000 with Carmela at 10,200 and John at 9,200. They're pretty bunched up here. He wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. We've hit bottom with this five letter word from the Arabic for opposite the zenith. And he knows it, although he's not totally sure how to pronounce it. So the, the nadir, nadir. I think he says mm-hmm. nadir and Ken sort of corrects him to nadir. Um, yeah. So that gets him out ahead a little bit more. It does. Yes. And then daily double number three is two picks later. Also found by Gary at the $1,600 level of working on a building. He's up to 14,800 at this point, And the other two are the same. And he wagers 4,000. Gets the clue. 1902, Daniel Burnham completes New York City's Fuller Building, now known by this household appliance name. And he gets this correct, too, with what is the Flatiron Building? Recognizable, tri- like, corner building. Yeah. The Flatiron Building apparently is really, I mean, I, I, I know it's really cool to look at because I've, I've sat there and been like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> look at that. It doesn't have, like... Like you're, if you look at either side, it seems like it's gonna be like a normal building, and then then you get to the corner, like the acute angle, and it, it's very strange. But apparently, the interior is horrible. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, you could you can imagine when you look at it, but like I don't know. I just guess I just sort of thought that like, you know, the architects who came up with this building <laughs> maybe found some ways to mitigate the weirdness of it. They did not. They did they not. Did it's not. horrible inside, is what I. They heard. were not concerned with that aspect. <laughs> they don't. They don't care how you feel about using their building. <laughs> so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Gary is in a big lead with twenty one thousand two hundred. Carmela is at thirteen thousand four hundred. John is at ten thousand. And the final jeopardy category is ancient history, where we get the clue: before visiting Achilles' tomb. This man threw his spear onto the ground in Asia and declared the continent Spear One. So John got this one correct with who is Alexander the Great? It's too soon. I don't want to talk about Alexander the Great. (laughs) I I wasn't bringing it up. I wasn't saying nothing. (laughs) Yep. So Alexander the Great is correct on this clue. Um, 
I'll tell you where Alexander the Great is not correct is if the question is about about the mausoleum of Halicarnassus. Anyway, John wagered everything but a dollar, 9,999, putting him in at 19,999. Carmela tried, who is Genghis Khan? Genghis Khan, actually, is the correct pronunciation, but I can't really bring myself to say it. Yeah, really. Yeah. It was so weird. Yeah. She wagered everything, so she drops to zero. And Gary had it correct with who is Alexander the Great and a 5601 wager, which puts him at $26,801. And so that will send him to the semifinals. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that's that's the week. We're heading into our last semifinal on mm-hmm. Monday and then or our last quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. on monday and then we'll wrap up the hearts and here in a couple weeks yeah yeah semifinals and finals and and then we'll be done with this all and then on into the next tournament but now it's our time to take a break and remind you that we have a patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables you can head there if you would like to help us offset the costs of making this podcast slide us a couple bucks a month or something which we put toward stuff like editing software and website hosting and stuff. We really appreciate those of you who are helping us with that. So thank you so much. We do have some exclusive content on there. There's a there's a couple of things on there that we did way back just for fun. And then every week we try and put up the quiz questions. I do have the tab open, although I haven't pasted them all in there yet. So well, you got yours posted last week, right? I did yes all right i'm going to have to not break the streak so i need to not click the little x all right my quiz questions are going to go on there god willing so tempting it's so it is well i mean i don't i i seldom close a tab but (laughs) i but i do ignore a tab many a tab for for weeks at a time sometimes But yeah, we put, we put our quiz questions on there so that Patreon supporters can get a look at them before we have finished editing the episode. And our podcast is, it's important to me and I think it's important to you, but it's not the only important thing in the world. So we've put some other things that are important to us, some other causes and such into our show notes if you want to take a look at any of those. Yeah. So Kyle, what are we talking about this week? Oh man, I don't know. I mean, my first guess is truly the ice cream sandwich. It's not the ice cream sandwich. Oh, how could you do this to me? Sorry. There are some really good options here. Uh, Are you talking about on the true and noble purpose of civil disobedience and all of those (laughs) things therein? I'm not, but that would have been a good one. Okay. Are you talking about? Whole House and Jane Adams. Oh, hold on a second. Sorry, I'm grabbing my notebook. You know, I I, I looked very seriously at Whole House, but then those assassinations were calling me. Okay, I I was like, there are a lot of assassinations and a lot of triple stumpers in there. Which one do I pick? But really, I should have just been like all of them. It was it's all of them. I I looked mm-hmm. at each of them individually, and none of them individually. I thought. I could do a robust deep dive on unless I mean, like, if you do Charles de Gaulle, and you're like, well, first to understand Charles de Gaulle, you need to understand the entire geopolitical context of French colonialism, right? Like, right, then you could get somewhere. But in terms of like, the assassination attempts individually, no, I'd be hard pressed to make any one of them a deep dive. So I'm going to there have been so many assassination attempts in history. 
successful mm-hmm. ones and failed ones. So what these all have in common is that they were triple stoppers. Okay. <laughs> um, our contestants didn't know them. So I was like, you know what? I'll talk briefly about each of the each four one. that okay. were Sounds that good. were that were missed. Yeah. So and we're getting a bonus assassination attempt. Ooh. Bonus assassination attempt. I love um, bonus assassination. Yeah. So so yeah, the the missed ones were Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Rose- Roosevelt, Charles de Gaulle, and Gerald Ford. They had one specific question about uh, a Gerald Ford assassination attempt, but he actually uh, survived two assassination attempts 17 days apart in California. Wow. Um, and I was looking at articles about the wrong one before I went back to the Jeopardy clue <laughs> and was like, hey, this has a different date. <laughs> so so I'm just going to talk about both of those. Sounds good. Um, yeah. All right. So the the attempted assassination of Teddy Roosevelt was on October 14th, 1912 by John Flamang Schrank. Schrank. S-C-H-R-A-N-K. And it happened in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This probably, if you know any of these stories, this may be the most likely, I would think. So we all know that President William McKinley was assassinated in 1901, six months into his second term. So his vice president, Theodore Roosevelt, ascended to the presidency, served the remainder of the term, was elected in 1904, and then refused to run for another term in 1908 in accordance with the tradition established by George Washington that no one served more than two full terms as U.S. president. That was not in the Constitution at the time. It is now codified as the 22nd Amendment. Yep. So 1908, he endorsed Taft at the Republican National Convention. And then Roosevelt wasn't happy with Taft as Taft's presidency. And so he sought to retake the presidency in 1912. And, you know, this is probably all familiar, right? But there was a split in the Republican Party. Ultimately, Taft won renomination. Roosevelt's followers nominated him for president on the ticket of the Progressive Party. And and now we come to this assassination attempt. So John Flamang Schrank was a Bavarian-born saloon keeper from New York. His life was marked by tragedy. He was orphaned at a young age. And then the aunt and uncle who took him in also died untimely deaths. I'm not sure exactly how old he was when that happened, but it sounds like, you know, that was when he was young-ish, a young man, maybe a teenager. I don't know. I, could, I couldn't find too much about that. But I think that that was also an influential event in his life. And his first and only girlfriend died in the General Slocum disaster. Do you know of this disaster, Kyle? I'm trying uh, to figure out if I'm I, missing something really important. Uh, I, d- I don't know off the top of my head I don't recognize General Slocum. Start talking about it and I might recognize it. It it could be its own whole deep dive. Um, This was a maritime disaster of a a large vessel on the East River in New York. Hmm. Yeah, it was like a it was like a big boat that was it was it was hired out by a Lutheran church to like take mostly women and children on like a big picnic. Right. Like mostly immigrant you know, mostly poor people, right? They hired this big boat to take everybody, like, I, I don't know, like off to uh, somewhere, somewhere like, you know, out of the city for, for a picnic. Sure. And somebody was like careless with a cigarette and there was like a lot of combustible stuff and the safety oh. equipment hadn't been maintained and there was like this huge fire and it was cold. People were wearing like heavy clothes and like the like 
hoses and stuff that like I think you're supposed to have on a ship I think even then you were like like that hadn't been maintained they didn't have anything to like fight the fire there weren't functional life rafts and the like life preservers were supposed to like meet a minimum weight standard to pass like safety inspections and the weight standard like they're supposed to they were supposed to be like made of cork right and it was like the weight standard was like your cork there you need to have enough like dense enough cork cork to like keep people floating but they had used like inferior cork and not enough of it and then added iron (laughs) to get it to pass the weight standard right there weren't enough life preservers anyway but like there were these like it's horrible like these there's stories of like you know mothers like putting a life preserver onto their child like the one life preserver they could get and then throwing the child overboard and the child just sinks like a rock right like it was (laughs) like a like a thousand almost a thousand people died in this thing yikes um yeah Anyway, so that that is how John Shrank's first and only girlfriend died. So he he had this really tragic life, which is not a good reason to assassinate anybody. But, right. you know, it made him a loner, profoundly religious. Apparently, he would just like walk the streets alone at night. However, he caused no documented trouble up until he tried to assassinate Th- Theodore Roosevelt. So according to documents that were found on him after the assassination attempt, he uh, had written that the ghost of William McKinley came to him in a dream and told him to avenge his death, pointing to a picture of Theodore Roosevelt. That's a better conspiracy theory than anything people are coming up with nowadays. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ultimately, while Roosevelt was campaigning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he attempted the assassination He'd been following Roosevelt on the campaign trail from New Orleans to Milwaukee. And in Milwaukee, Roosevelt was staying at the Gilpatrick Hotel. And so Shrank went to the hotel. Roosevelt finished his meal, left the hotel to enter an open car. He stood to acknowledge the cheering of the assembled crowd. And then Shrank shot him. But the bullet lodged in his chest only after hitting both his steel eyeglass case and a 50-page copy of his speech titled Mm -hmm. Progressive Cause Greater Than Any Individual, which he was carrying in his jacket pocket. He stumbled but straightened himself. Several of the men around Shrank began pummeling him and screaming, kill him and hang him. Roosevelt shouted to the crowd, don't hurt him, bring him here, I want to see him. And the crowd hearing Roosevelt, Roosevelt's voice, right, like they'd seen him like get shot and stumble. And then they turned, you know, toward the sound, right? So they, they turn and see Roosevelt. Somebody asks, is he okay? And Roosevelt like waves his hat in the air and says, I'm all right. Four policemen push their way into the crowd and hold Shrank as the crowd cheers that Roosevelt has survived. So Roosevelt had had Shrank brought to him and asked him, what did you do it for? And didn't get any response and then said, oh, what's the use? Turn him over to the police. And then he directed the police officers take charge of him and see that there's no violence done to him. So then he was, Shrank was led away into the, I guess, the kitchen hotel. Roosevelt concluded that the bullet hadn't reached his lung because he correctly surmised that he would be likely coughing blood if it had. So he declined medical attention at that time, delivered his scheduled speech with blood seeping into his shirt, and then got medical attention. Mm -hmm. That's the part of the story that I had known before. And his opening comments to the gathered crowd were, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. The bullet had lodged in his chest, but did not penetrate the pleura. The doctors decided that it would be less dangerous to leave it in place than to try to remove it. So the bullet 
was you know just lodged in his in his in his like his chest like muscle musculature for the rest of his life when asked about it he would say i don't mind it any more than if it were in my waistcoat pocket a psychologist examined shrank and reported that he had insane delusions grandiose in character declared him insane and he was committed to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Wapun, Wisconsin in 1914. He remained there for 29 more years and died there of pneumonia in 1943. So that's that's what I've got about the Theodore Roosevelt assassination attempt. Let's mm-hmm. move on to Franklin Roosevelt. That one took place February 15th, 1933, 17 days before Roosevelt's inauguration. It was in Miami, Florida, and the would-be assassin in this case was Giuseppe Zangara. So Roosevelt was there giving an impromptu speech at night from the back of an open car in the Bayfront Park area of Miami, where Zangara was working the occasional odd job. Zangara was armed with a 32 caliber revolver that he'd bought for eight bucks, the equivalent of $180 in this was 2022 currency, similar sure. in 2023, I, I suppose. He bought it at a local pawn shop. Giuseppe Zangara was only five feet tall, so he was unable to see over the other people. He stood on a wobbly metal folding chair, peering over the hat of one Mrs. Lillian Cross in order to try and get a clear shot. He was about 25 feet away from FDR. He apparently placed his gun over Mrs. Cross's right shoulder and fired a shot, whereupon Mrs. Lillian Cross grabbed his arm and he fired four more shots wildly. Five people were hit. Three had minor wounds. One had major abdominal wounds. Mrs. Cross had like powder burns on her cheek. And Chicago Mayor Anton Cermak, Mm -hmm. who was standing on the running board of the car next to Roosevelt, was hit and fatally wounded. So Roosevelt was with the wounded Cermak as he rushed to the hospital. Allegedly, Cermak uttered the line that it that is it is absolutely engraved on his tomb. I'm glad it was me, not you. That line though was it was quoted in a newspaper with like no with no attribution. So historians think it was maybe maybe it was fabricated, you know, hyperbole, mm-hmm. whatever. Zangara confessed in the Dade County Courthouse Jail, stating, I have the gun in my hand. I kill kings and presidents first and next all capitalists. He Ah. pleaded. Yeah. He pleaded guilty to four counts of attempted murder and was sentenced to 80 years in prison. At this time, Cermak was still succumbing to his wounds. And after Zangara was sentenced, he told the judge four times 20 is 80. Judge, don't be stingy. Give me 100 years. It took some time for Cermak to die, but after he died, Zangara was indicted for first-degree murder. Zangara had intended to commit murder, and so the person he ended up murdering was not his initially intended target, but there's apparently something called the Doctrine of Transferred Intent, where if if you intend to commit a murder and you do commit a murder, but it's the wrong person by accident. It's still a first degree murder. Yeah, um, that seems fair. Yeah, you know, like yeah. that kind of that kind of kibitzing. I don't like. Yeah, I don't think that matters. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I can imagine that you know some lawyer would be <laughs> would try and you know like it, like lawyers have to like make their best cases, right? Like like surely surely this doctrine exists because somebody tried to be like he did kill someone and he meant to kill someone, but the someones weren't the same. So, yeah. 
Uh, he pled guilty to the additional murder charge and was sentenced to death. Spending After spending only 10 days on death row, Zangara, who had refused to appeal the sentence, was executed on March 20th, 1933 in the electric chair at Florida State Prison. He became enraged when he learned that no newsreel cameras would be filming his final moments. And his final statement was, Viva Latalia, goodbye to all poor peoples everywhere. Push the button. Go ahead. Push the button. That's that's what I got about that one. Yeah, trying to track down. I mean, clearly there's like political stuff, but like trying to track down exactly what was going on there for her, him or any ties. Like, I think what that like that wasn't clear. There's some conspiracy theories around it, but like nothing substantiated. Charles de Gaulle, he survived an assassination attempt on August 22, 1962. And there were a number of people involved in this one, but I guess the name to know here is Jean-Marie Bastien Thierry, who did not fire any of the shots, but he was the one who ended up being executed. So I don't want to get into the entire history of French colonialism, but in 1959, President of France Charles de Gaulle reversed his previous position and began to support Algerian independence. And that was the political move that led to you know, like an opposition movement that attempted this assassination. Hmm. Uh, so Jean-Marie Bastien Thierry was a French Air Force lieutenant colonel and a military air weaponry engineer. He was the creator of the Nord SS-10, SS-11 missiles. He was involved with the organization V-Etat-Major and tried to make contact with the OAS, the Organisation Armée, a paramilitary group opposed to de Gaulle's policy. Hmm. He did not make contact with that organization. You could probably pick it up if you have a little exposure to French, but that's the armed secret organization. So they did not return his, his, his calls. <laughs> and he led the most prominent of several assassination attempts on de Gaulle. He and his group of three shooters, Lieutenant Alain de la Tocnay, Jacques Provost, and Georges, I don't know how you pronounce that one, Watin. They made preparations in the Paris sub suburb of Petit, Cl Petit Clamar. And then while Bastien Thierry functioned as a lookout, de Gaulle's car, which the Jeopardy clue mentioned, was a Citroën, like, I don't know how you pronounce that car manufacturer. Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know. S sure, Citroën. I know, yeah. yeah, I know I know French, but I don't know cars. <laughs> We're raked with machine gun fire. De Gaulle and his wife and entourage escaped uninjured. Holes from 14 bullets were found in the president's vehicle, one of which barely missed the president's head. And there were, I mean, this was, was like, the, the, these chops were just like riddled with bullets. Bastien Thierry was arrested when he came back from a military mission in the United Kingdom. He was brought to trial before a military tribunal presided over by General Roger Gardet, which ran from January 28 to March 4, 1963. During the trial, his lawyers made the case that he had intended to capture, not murder, de Gaulle and bring him to like a panel of sympathetic judges to answer for his crimes or whatever yeah bastion thierry that's that's what the machine guns were for <laughs> like, what <laughs> yeah bastion thierry who had been certified as normal by psychiatrists in spite of some history some mental health history clinical depression specifically was convicted and sentenced to death as were two of his accomplices 
De Gaulle had the power of clemency. He commuted the death sentences of those who had fired the shots, but refused to commute the sentence of Bastien Thierry, citing several reasons. Bastien Thierry had directed the attempt, which put civilians and Charles de Gaulle's wife at risk. He had publicly mocked Charles de Gaulle during the trial. And apparently this was the big one that he had had not put himself sort of in physical danger during this attempted assassination. These other guys who, you know, fired the shots were, I don't know, like it was, you know, risky for them. And I think, you know, Charles de Gaulle, I don't know, saw it as cowardice that he, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of orchestrated the whole thing and then, you know, sort of watched from a lookout position. I don't know. Anyway, he was executed one week after the trial, having refused a blindfold and clutching a rosary. He was executed by firing squad on March 11th, 1963, the last person to be so executed in France. Mm -hmm. So that's the Charles de Gaulle assassination attempt and two attempts on Gerald Ford's life. First, September 15th, 1975, Lynette Squeaky Fromm, a member of the Manson family cult, attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford in Sacramento, California. Standing a little more than an arm's length from Ford, she pointed a pistol at him in the public grounds of the California State Capitol building and unsuccessfully attempted to fire because she had not chambered around. Yeah. She had come to believe that California's giant coastal redwoods were in danger of falling because of automobile smog and felt personally responsible for the fate of the trees. Apparently, the Manson cult had this whole like kind of like weird nature worship thing going on. She heard she'd she'd been doing some, I don't know, activism, like whatever about that, but then heard that the president would be coming to Sacramento and that the hotel he would be staying at was located close to her apartment. And that at that point decided to bring attention to the plight of the trees by killing the president. Yeah. She said that her decision was rooted in her desire to get life, not just my life, but clean air, healthy water, and respect for creatures and creation. She dressed on the morning of the assassination attempt completely in red for the animals and earth colors, placed a Colt 45 pistol into a leg holster, and made her way to the California State Capitol grounds. And at 10.02 a.m., Gerald Ford was there greeting people, shaking hands, making his way to the Capitol building. And from pointed the gun between the height of Ford's knees and his waist. Ford is quoted as saying, as I stopped, I saw a hand come through the crowd in the first row. And that was the first active gesture that I saw. But in the hand, there was a gun. The pistol contained ammunition in detachable magazine. But apparently Fromm was not aware that she needed to like pull back the slide mm-hmm. to insert a cartridge into the chamber. So she pointed the gun at Ford. Several people heard a metallic click sound and she shouted, it wouldn't go off. At which point, <laughs> at which point a secret service agent, Larry Buendorf, Buendorf, grabbed the gun, forced it from her hand and brought her to the ground where she said, it didn't go off. Can you believe it? It didn't go off. Secret service agents began to drag Ford away, but he objected and continued his walk to the California State House, entered, met with California Governor Jerry Brown at 10.06 a.m. for 30 minutes without mentioning the assassination attempt until they were finished talking business. He later indicated that he was not scared and concluded, I thought I'd better get on with my day's schedule. During the trial, Fromm refused to cooperate. She threw an apple at the prosecuting U.S. attorney, Dwayne Keyes. She received a life sentence. During her imprisonment, she escaped from prison and as a result received extra time to her sentence after her capture two days later 
she was paroled from prison on August 14th, 2009, having served about 34 years and published a book about her life in 2018. And last assassination attempt of the evening <laughs> on September 22, 1975. So just 17 later, days later, Sarah Jane Moore attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford in San Francisco. She explained in a 2009 interview that her motive was to spark a violent revolution in order to bring change to America. She didn't have specific organizational ties the way that the way that this previous one did. She fired two gunshots at President Ford, both of which missed. This was at 3.30 p.m. Ford had spoken to the World Affairs Council and then emerged from the St. Francis Hotel in Union Square in San Francisco, walked toward his limousine, and then stopped before boarding the vehicle to wave to the crowd that had gathered across the street. She was standing in the crowd and fired two shots. The first missed Ford's head by about five inches and passed through the wall above the doorway Ford had just walked out of. A bystander named Oliver Sipple heard the sound of the first shot and dove at Moore, grabbing her shooting arm before she pulled the trigger a second time. The second second shot struck John Ludwig, a 42 year old taxi driver standing inside the hotel struck him in the groin but he survived police officers subdued more while secret service agents removed ford from the scene more pled guilty to charges of attempted assassination on december 12 1975 and was sentenced to life imprisonment and then she was released on December 31, 2007, at the age of 77 on parole. In the aftermath of the attempted assassination, the bystander who had grabbed her arm, Oliver Sipple, was you know, interviewed by various news outlets, which led to him being outed as gay. His family had not been aware of that, and his parents and most of the rest of his family disowned him. Mm. So sad story there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the these two assassination attempts led to some legislation in California. California Governor Jerry Brown responded by signing into law bills imposing mandatory sentences for persons convicted of using guns in committing serious crimes and requiring purchasers of guns to wait 15 days for delivery. So that's five assassination attempts that I didn't know too much about. The Theodore Roosevelt one I knew a little bit about. but But now we know more. Yeah. Now we know more. So if any of those come up again, you know a little bit about them now. Indeed. Yep. So are you ready for a quiz? Yes. Great. Because I me. have one. Oh, good. All right. And this is, let's call, let's call the theme assassinations. So question one, Giuseppe Zangara plays a significant role in the background of an alternative history novel by Philip K. Dick. In that novel, the point of divergence from our history is that FDR is successfully assassinated, leading ultimately to the victory of the Axis powers in World War II. What is the title of that novel, which was also adapted into a drama which ran for four seasons on Amazon Prime? Four seasons? Apparently. That's The Man Man in the High Castle. It is The Man in the High Castle. Good job. Yeah. We, We watched the first two seasons. I watched like the first one season. The first season was very good, I thought. Yeah. And then when the like, apparently, I don't know, I need to read the book because I need to see how much is like taken, like how much liberty is taken. But mm-hmm. it gets it gets a lot more sci-fi yeah. as it goes along and, and less just like alternative history. Mm, yeah, I like an alternative history. 
but maybe maybe I should go back and spend more time with that. I think I, I think I just watched the first season, maybe not even the whole first season. Mm. Yeah. All right. You're at 10 points. Question two, put these assassinations in chronological order. And I'm going to give them to you in alphabetical order because, you know, yeah, when I try and scram- yeah, yeah. when you're trying to scramble something like something always happens. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to give them to you in alphabetical order. You're going to put them into chronological order. Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon, Harvey Milk, Malcolm X. I trained oh. at X's, you know, the letter for alphabetical right. order purposes. Ah, uh, nuts. If you're if you're close in my subjective opinion, I'll like give you another chance for fewer points. <laughs> okay. Malcolm X, MLK, RFK, John Lennon, Harvey Milk were the ones you named. That's not yep. the order I'm necessarily saying in, but I, yep. okay. You got all the names. I can never, I, I'm realizing I, I don't remember who was assassinated first. If it was Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, but I, th- mm. I, I think it was Malcolm X. So I'm going to go with, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., Robert F. Kennedy, John Lennon, Harvey Milk. You are close. Okay. Let's try it again for five points. I'm trying to figure out if there's a clue I can give you, but like... Yeah, I don't know what to what to switch. Yeah, um, you, you were right about the thing you were worried about. Okay. I, tr- I truly don't remember when RFK was assassinated, and I thought that Harvey Milk was last, but maybe he's earlier than I thought. Okay, and then I'll go Malcolm X, MLK, RFK, Harvey Milk, and John Lennon? That is correct. Okay. Nice job. Yeah, yep, Malcolm X first in 1965. MLK and RFK both in 1968, but MLK was first in April, RFK was in June, and like... Like you, you could know that if you just know the dates, or if you know that RFK like gave a speech responding right, to Martin yeah. Luther King's assassination, right? Because can't give, can't give a speech if you died first. And then Harvey Milk was 1978, and John Lennon was 1980. 1980. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's five points. You're at 15. Question three. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and theologian who studied at. Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where I got my Master's of Divinity, before returning to his home country, where he ultimately was executed for what crime? None of us are mad about it. I mean, was was that was the crime attempted assassination? Yes. Okay. Um, of someone specific, I mean, assume of Hitler. <laughs> of Hitler, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was he, like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. D- Dietrich Bonhoeffer returned to Germany, like as Hitler was rising, you know, out of out of like a sense of, you know, conviction that he needed to, you know, be present to try and, you know, do what he could to, you know, steer like the moral destiny of his of his, you know, his nation and was doing all kinds of, you know, I mean, churchy pastory stuff. But and it's not it's not entirely clear whether he truly was involved in a plot to to assassinate Hitler or whether that was, you know, fabricated. But at least I, I think last I knew it was not totally clear whether that was whether that was real. But it seems, you know, it seems at the very nobody says it definitely wasn't it, at the very least is possible. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, you were correct on that one. You're at 
25 points. Question four. Assassination Vacation is a 2005 book by Sarah Vowell detailing her travels around the United States researching the assassinations of Lincoln, Garfield, and McKinley. Vowell might be a familiar voice to public radio listeners because she was a contributing editor to what program? Each week they choose a theme, bring you a variety of different kinds of stories on that theme. What's the show? Oh, oh my God. I'm playing more off of who is giving the quiz than off of my knowledge of this thing. I am going to just out of with zero conviction, guess this American life. And I'm glad you did. Cause that's correct. <laughs> I gave everyone my absolute best Ira glass. It was so, so, but <laughs> I think that I got his cadence, if not his, you know, kind of nasal rasp. Yeah, um, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was else was I going to say? Oh, Sarah Vowell also is the is the voice of what's her name Violet in The Incredibles. In The Incredibles, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but her books are fun. She had like the Wordy Shipmates, which is about like the Pilgrims, the Partly Cloudy Patriot. Probably hasn't aged all that well. It's about like you know being an American history nerd who's not feeling super great about America. Like during mm-hmm. the the second Bush administration, sure, yeah, but lots of lots of fun history nerd stuff. You're at thirty five points. Question five. This is a short question with a long answer. What is the ten word title of the two thousand seven western film starring Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck? Oh, F. Mm. The it's. I can I can give you an option that you will. That, that will that will torment you, which is that I'm, I'm willing to give you three points and the first letter of each of the 10 words. Or you can just come up with it for no, 10 no, points. No, I think I, I think I have it. Okay. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. Okay, if I, I hope I get the names right. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. That is correct. Okay. Whew. Nice job. Thank uh, you. All right. You're at 45 points. And the final category is Broadway musicals. Oh, F. <laughs> 45 points. Mm-hmm. Let's go 32. Okay. That's a, that's a number. It's one of them. All right. For 77 points, if you are correct, what American composer and lyricist wrote an aptly titled musical that includes Giuseppe Zangara, Lynette Squeaky Frome, and Sarah Jane Moore as characters? This figure has a Broadway theater named after him, and I believe two revivals currently running on Broadway. Uh, That is Stephen Sondheim's It sure is Stephen Sondheim. Yes. I have seen Assassins. It was fine. Okay. I... I realized as I was writing this quiz that I can write a quiz question about Stephen Sondheim. And I have seen an absurd number of Broadway musicals, but somehow I think not a single Sondheim. Wow. I have never seen a live Sondheim. I've seen, hmm. I've seen like some, some film adaptations. I've seen, you know, Sweeney Todd. I think I've, into the I've, woods, seen, yeah. I've seen into the, did I watch all of into the woods? I might not have finished it. It's like one that I like put on while I was cooking. Yeah. So 
but like somehow as like as if I had been avoiding Sondheim, which I haven't. I, I just haven't seen a Sondheim show live yet. Seventy-seven points. Yay. Nice job. I like that number. Yeah, that's a good number. If you had missed, what would it, it would be? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. An unlucky um, number. Yeah. That's no good. way. I that's a good. I like that. I like that wager. That's that's fun. So yeah. Well, thank you. It was a great great quiz. I loved it and very helpful deep dive. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who like Jeopardy, tell them about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with more wildcard quarterfinals, semifinals, and... I guess a final the first the first day sure yeah yeah uh and until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker bye